We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. First Kings chapter 1, as we come now to this book, and you know, I don't know how you guys uh, uh, are, are, you know, you're like, oh, wait a minute, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, how does it all fit? Well, just to kind of give you a nutshell, uh, 1 Samuel is, uh, after the period of the judges, you have Samuel, and then you have Saul, the first king of Israel, and then you have David, his, the future king of Israel being raised up. So that's 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel is really the, the reign of David, period. It's all about the reign of David. So now we, when we get into 1 Kings, we're going to see it's the, the reign of Solomon, and that's the first 11 chapters. And then we're going to get to chapter 12, and then we're going to start to deal with all the different kings. Because in chapter 12 of 1 Kings, the nation divides. You have the northern kingdom, Israel. They're called Israel. Sometimes they're called Ephraim. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, and they divide at that point. But in First and Second Kings, they cover both the southern and the northern kingdom. And so you go through and you see that. And so all the way until the captivity. And so you have 970 B.C. all the way to 586 B.C. But, you know, then you're wondering, well, what about First and Second Chronicles? What's that? Well, First and Second Chronicles also deals with the reign of David, First Chronicles. But then, when you get into Second Chronicles, you deal with Solomon and the other kings. But here's the difference: it's the Southern Kingdom now. And First and Second Chronicles, you'll see you see they deal with a temple, they deal with worship, and so it's coming from a priestly perspective. And so, you know, these books overlap, and it's kind of cool. Uh, when you know the whole, you know, gamut of how that uh, overlaps. As I mentioned, the, the date of First and Second Kings begins around 970 B.C. and uh, it goes all the way to about 586 B.C. when the southern kingdom of Judah was carried away captive. And if you just remember a few dates, it's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys are into this stuff. David, 1000 B.C. That's easy to remember, huh? David, 1000 B.C. Um, Solomon now, right, right around 970 B.C. And then uh, Israel was brought into captivity by the, by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And then later we have the southern kingdom of Judah carried away captive by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And so it's kind of cool when you kind of just a few dates. And we'll have a test afterwards and see... If you don't pass it, you can't have communion. That's what we're going to do. But it's super, it's super easy, you know, to remember just a few dates. And you kind of get things kind of like, oh, okay, that's the way it works, you know. And then you have Abraham. And it, it's just so neat to wait, see the way it all works. And so First and Second Kings covers about 385 years. And First uh, Kings, which is where we're going to start, it covers about 126 years. And so after the reign of Solomon, Israel, the northern kingdom, lasted about 209 years till they were carried away. And Judah, the southern kingdom, they lasted about 345 years till they were carried away. 
And so the book was probably written because it was written before they returned. And so it's probably written between 560 and 536 um, B.C. As far as who wrote it, uh, we're not sure. Um, there's a strong Jewish tradition that says it's Jeremiah. Um, and and it, there's also, when you read it, you guys have gone through this before, right? A lot of you have. You know, you'll see, like, it's got to be the same author. You see the pattern there. And so, you know, it, yeah, using compilation of different, different sources, but the same author putting them together. Jeremiah, some say possibly Ezekiel because of the fact that it's kind of written from uh, someone maybe from, who was in captivity, and then the other person that they believe it possibly might be is Ezra. So we don't know for sure, but we know for sure that who wrote it? God. Okay, that's the most important thing, right? Now, in looking at First and Second Kings, uh, we know the theme is partially just the history of the Jews. We want to chronicle that history of this nation. Um, but for us as Christians, we know it's so much more. You know, it, it's the preservation of a nation. We're going to see, even though they did what they did, and, and God had to discipline them big time, God preserved the lineage of the Messiah, and it's just a beautiful story of grace and, and how we need to hear that story because every once in a while when we blow it, we think it's over and we think that there's no hope. But I tell you what, if you turn to God, if you turn to God today, there's hope. The Lord said, if anyone comes to me, I'll never turn them away. And there's that story of grace in the story of Israel. Even today, the fact that they're in the land, that they got the land back in 1948, that they got Jerusalem back in 1967, that when Jesus comes, he's again going to deal and save the Jews. It's a story of grace. And that's the story of our life. It's a story of grace. Not that you abuse the grace. Please, don't do that. But that you use it. And you don't let the enemy defeats you. you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I like the song that we sang today. I don't know the exact words, but Bob probably does. And um, <laughs> just something about how he's dealt with not just part of our sins, but all of our sins, the whole past, present, future nailed to the cross. And that's supposed to stimulate you to love him and obey him. And so it's a story of grace, undoubtedly, but it is also a story of warning. You know, God said he'll spank you if you disobey him, and that's what he did to Israel. And, you know, he just kept warning them and warning them and warning them. And, you know, the northern kingdom of Israel, they never served the Lord. Once Jeroboam became king, he was thinking, oh, no, people are going to go down to Jerusalem and they're going to worship in the temple. We don't want that to happen. So he set up his own religion, made up his own priests, and they worshiped the calf. The whole time they worshiped the calf. And God was long-suffering with them, like I said earlier, for, what, 209 years. He warned them, but eventually the Assyrians came. And when the Assyrians came, they were brutal, man. They were brutal. Um, we did a study with Dr. Belowian when the men went to the conference. And, and, man, the things they did. And they came in, and, you know, when they took you captive, they would cut off a limb or pull off an eye, or they would maim you somehow. They put hooks in your jaws, and they carried you away. 
And, the, and you would figure that the southern kingdom would see that and that they would then repent. And I'll tell you what, for me as a Christian, when I see God dealing with people, dealing with pastors who have done things that are wrong, it strikes fear into my heart. It makes me want to get right with God. It should. But the southern kingdom, you know, they themselves, even though they had the temple, they, 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 it was very rare to really see a king in a period of time where they were just steadfast. And it's even very rare to see, and we're going to see as we go through the kings, which to me is this a real strong stimulation. It's very rare to see a king that started well and ended well. Very rare. Many of them started well. Well, some of them in the southern kingdom. But, but, but I think there was only a couple that actually finished well. And so in going through First and Second Kings, there's that, that lesson of, of just, you know, God said, I'll, 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 I'll give you, you know, I love you, you're my kids. And, but if you, if you disobey because of the fact, that not just because it's a sin against God, not just because of that, but because it's wrong, it's it just written within the DNA of that spiritual law is the, the curse that you'll experience. See, God blesses us, and sometimes, um, maybe it's even when you had a bad day, but don't, don't live your life like that, but bound within his spiritual laws. He is bound to bless you. He's bound himself to bless you if you obey him. That you can always stand on. God is gracious. And just like we are with our kids, um, you know, we're going to talk about that today. Um, because we love them, we got to discipline them. And so we're going to see that as we go through First and Second Kings, they were written to record history, yes, but more importantly, to teach the lessons of history. I've always told you guys this, the easiest way to learn is how? To read your Bible. Right? Learn it and live it. That's the easiest way to learn. And then I think the second best way to learn is learn from the mistakes of others. You're like, ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't want that to happen, you know? But then there are those who never learn. Like, it's like, man, it's crazy. So we, we're going to see the ups and downs and all these things. Even Solomon, you guys already know. It's not like I'm letting the cat out of the bag. He started off so well with so much wisdom, so much blessing. I don't know if he's in heaven. It's crazy. But look at how it all happened in verse 1. It said, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. Now we have this information partially because later on Adonijah is going to ask for Abishag, but another reason is because he's telling us that David is nearing the end of his life. I mean, it's kind of weird. I know some of you guys are like this. You get cold real easy. 
and uh, you're always cold or whatever. Um, but David now reaches a point in his life. We know he's 70 years old because he started reigning when he was 30, and it's been 40 years now, so 70 years old. And in, in those days, it was different than nowadays. Being 70 then it was different than it is now. Some of you guys, probably 70, you're probably still doing pretty good. For David, he couldn't get warm. He couldn't get warm. And so, you know, they tried covering him with electric blankets, and it didn't work. No, I was joking. They didn't have those back then, right? And so what did they do? They found a, a lovely young woman named Abishag. She was a Shunammite, and, she, and, they, and they brought her to David. She served him. She cared for him. She, you know, lied down with him to keep him warm. They didn't know each other sexually, according to verse 2. But that body heat, and you guys know how that is, would keep Solomon warm. Uh, she was what I would call a sweeter heater. That's what I call Shelly. I hope you guys aren't stumbled by that. But you know what? Just saw that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11. It says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Right? And so that's what they were doing for David. Uh, Abishag was a Shunammite from the town of Shunem, located in the territory of Issachar, mentioned in Joshua 19.18. It was about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. So they looked a long way. She must have been very very special. She cared for him. She served him. And she kept him warm. But David now is at the end of his life. And so as that's going on, we read in verse 5 that then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. And so we read now about Adonijah. Uh, he was David's fourth son. You can find that in 2 Samuel 3, verses 2 through 4. And we know for certain that, you know, the, the first son of Amnon died, uh, Absalom died, the third son. More than likely, the second son, Chiliab, also died because he's only mentioned early in the genealogies in First Chronicles 3, verse 1 and Second Samuel 3. And so more than likely, uh, all three of his brothers are dead. And so he just assumes, he assumes, well, I'm the king. I'm, I'm the next king. You know? And, and so what does he do? He, he, he foolishly exalts himself. We read that right there. It's crazy. Verse 5, Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself. And, and you read that how very sad to see a son of David who never exalted himself. How sad to see him, the son of David, exalt himself. You know, his name, Adonijah, it means my Lord is Yahweh, but he didn't live up to his name. My Lord is Yahweh. My Lord is Yahweh. And some of, you know, people in the church, oh, Jesus is Lord. Are you sure? Is the Lord, is Jesus really calling the shots in your life? Is he telling you what thoughts to think? Is he dictating the words that you say and the actions that you're doing and the person that you are? Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you have the, the name Adonijah. 
the, the question is, are we living the life? Adonijah obviously wasn't. He, he exalted himself. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember that. Just because you say, Lord, Lord, it doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And I say that not to, to put you down. I say that to lift you up. Because you want to make sure you're saved. And we want to make sure that we do our best to encourage you that Jesus Christ really would be the Lord of your life. And that means that you live a different life. You don't live in presumptuous sin. You don't live in insistent, consistent, persistent sin. Because then there's, there's not that assurance. He had the right name, but he was doing the wrong thing. He was exalting himself. And just to exalt yourself is sin. It goes against the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it goes against all that God teaches us in his word. You know, the principle is taught in Proverbs 25, verse 6, where the Bible says, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. You know, if, if we aren't to exalt ourselves in the presence of the king, how much more should we not exalt ourselves to be the king? But that's what Adonijah did. You guys, let the Lord raise you up. Don't be a manipulator. And if you have it in your heart, take it out. Oh, I should be teaching. Oh, I should be whatever it is that you say you should be. Because that's what Satan did. He said in his heart, I will exalt myself. Right? And that's why we have to be so careful. The scripture says in Psalm 75, 6 through 7, exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts the other. And you let the Lord do it. You know, um, whatever it is God has for you, whatever it is God has for you, no one can stop the calling of God on your life. Not, not any man can stop the calling of God in your life. Saul's a lesson. David's a lesson. We saw that, right? Saul did everything he could as the king of Israel to stop the calling on David's life, and he couldn't. No one can stop the calling on your life. Just be faithful where you are. Seek the Lord. Jeremiah 45, 5. Jeremiah told Baruch, you seek great things for yourself. Seek them not. So you don't seek the great things for yourself. You seek what do you seek? Who do you seek? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, Matthew 6, God's going to take care of everything else. But if you seek anyone else or anything else, you're going to miss out. We're to let the Lord do the work. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said the same thing in Luke 14, verse 11. And that's taught in position, you know, in life, and ministry. It's taught in prayer. Remember Luke 18, 14, the parable of the self-righteous Pharisee and the sinner and couldn't lift up his eyes, just beat his breast. And the Lord said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. Of course, we know where this originated. Self-exaltation was found in the heart and caused the fall of Satan himself. We read that in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And that's why when the Antichrist comes on the scene halfway through the tribulation period, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, that he exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. And so how sad to see the absence of humility on the part of Adonijah. But there's another lesson. Responsibility was undoubtedly due to the negligence of David, his father. Look again at verse 6. And his father, that's David, had not rebuked him, this is interesting, at any time, by saying, why have you done so? See, and as we go through the study today, and you guys know there's a lot of little you know, things tucked away, but with me, like the two things that kind of stood out, number one, negligence. And number two, arrogance. Negligence on David's part, he should have, you know, given the king, you know, hey, Solomon, you're king. He should have taken care of it. He was just kicking back, hanging out with Abishag, right? Negligence on a leader's part. Leaders need to know when it's time to step aside. Also negligence in his family. He, he wasn't, you guys know, he wasn't, he wasn't a good disciplinarian with his children. Here we read that he didn't rebuke him at any time. The NIV says his father had never interfered with him by asking him, why do you behave as you do? We know David did the same thing with Amnon, who died. He did the same thing, and there are similarities with Absalom, who died. We know Eli did that with his sons, who died. And the pattern is there. You know how we parents and fathers especially need to take this to heart. Proverbs 29, 15, it says, The rod and rebuke, they give wisdom, but a child, here it is, and this is, doesn't it break your heart? A child left to himself brings shame. Shame to his mother. And that's the key. You know, a lot of times it's, we're just negligent. You know, you might be doing other things. You're busy with your job. You know, mom takes care of it. Dad doesn't. And what we find, man, is that is a heavy responsibility that we have as parents. You know, notice here in Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen, you have the corporal punishment, which is the rod, right? Working in conjunction with the verbal correction, which is the rebuke. It's necessary for the healthy heart of a child because he just cannot be left to himself. If we don't rebuke them, if we don't restrain them, then we end up maiming them and shaming them. Proverbs 29.17 says, Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. I'll tell you this, as a parent, sometimes you just don't want to. You're like, man, I had a hard day at work. I just want to come home, have a glass of lemonade, and let me find the remote control. You know, I'll watch, you know, a good DVD or something, you know. But there are issues. A lot of times that need to be dealt with. And we, a lot of times as leaders, we're negligent. As parents, we're negligent. This is the fruit of that. Where it threatened the whole kingdom, we're going to see. 
And we see with David, his son died. You know, I'm not saying that every good parent is going to have a child that's, you know, that's guaranteed, you know, they still need to choose. But we as parents, I pray that we would do the best that we can to be an example to them and to give them the necessary rebukes of life and, you know, rods of life. You know, don't bruise them, don't beat them up, but right there, there's padding right there. There's, there's ways. We have to. We can't just turn the other way. I'm busy right now. No, you can't. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And, and what that means is that, you know, sin nature, it's there. It says, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. You'll discipline him. As parents, we need to look beyond the present and consider the future as the rod and rebuke bring the fruit of righteousness over time. Hebrews 12.11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, right? And whenever you deal with your kids, I, I know me, I'm kind of a softy, and you're probably thinking, nah, but it hurts you more than it hurts them. You know it does. And my little kids will say, no, it doesn't. It does. And so, you know, right there in the present, it's painful. But you've got to deal with things, right? Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is a big word to those who have been trained by it. And unfortunately, David had fallen in this area. And so what ends up happening? Adonijah, unrestrained, think about that, all his life. And you know what's a bad combination? When you have had no parental guidance, unrestrained all your life, and you top, off, top that off with you're a good-looking guy or a good-looking girl, which is what Adonijah, he was good-looking. Put those two together. You remember them in high school? You remember those people? They're out there, right? And so what ends up happening, he, you know, decides to exalt himself. Chariots and horsemen, think about that, 50 men running before him. Good looking on the outside, but oh, so very ugly on the inside. Remember for Samuel 16, 7, I know like you're like, oh, he's got the look. Oh, she's got the look. Oh, they're a leader. Oh, oh, they're a pastor. They got the look. No, it's not the look, you guys. Remember 1 Samuel 16, 7? What is it? It's the heart. It's the heart after God. So we read in verse 7, Then he confirmed with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is an Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. We'll see as we go through our study tonight that God had already spoken to David that Solomon was going to be the king. 
It's for that reason, and Adonijah knew it. It was for that reason he didn't invite Solomon to be, to be with him in this celebration, coronation. It's for that reason he didn't invite, you know, people who knew better, like Zadok or Nathan or Benaiah or the mighty men. There's certain individuals, oh yeah, I'll invite them, but not them because they know better, right? The ones that did follow Adonijah, they lacked spiritual discernment. I mean, they should have known better. And think about it, Joab, Abiathar, Joab, how old is Joab now? This guy's old. He's been with David for a long time. He knows better. Abiathar, this was the, the lone priest that survived the slaying of Doeg. That was when David was still on the run. David's now been king for 40 years. He's been with David for over 40 years. He knows better. But they just, they lack that spiritual discernment. And I tell you what, you will lack spiritual discernment if you're not having a devotional life. If you're not serving the Lord, you will lack it. You will be led astray. But also know this, that God will test the hearts of people to weed out those whose hearts are not right, whose hearts are not loyal. God will find a way to get rid of them. Later, Benaiah would become the commander of the army. That would be for Solomon. And the others would be part of his cabinet and leadership because God was about to do a new work. God's about to do a new work. And so what does he do? He shakes everything up. Let's see who's really here for the right reason. Some of them weren't. Right? And so God on the throne. Jesus said this, and it's very applicable. In Matthew 15, 14, he said, They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both of them are going to fall into a ditch. Let them. We need to be careful. They're having this big barbecue, sacrifices to who? To God? You're following God? You're not following God. You're just going through that religious motion. So... You know, he's got this whole thing, this plan. And so we read in verse 11 that Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son, Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then, while you are still talking there with the king, I will also come in after you, and, here's the word, confirm your words. And so all this is going on. Nathan is a godly man, and he sees what's happening. If you remember, he was the one who confronted David for his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And here God uses him again with wisdom. It's just a, it's this wisdom of words to do God's will. You know, he says to Bathsheba, you know, you go into David, you talk to him, and you tell him what's going on. And then, you know, I'll come in just to kind of confirm what you're saying, right? Real, really cool plan. Not deception, not manipulation, it's inspiration. You know, the Bible says in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so what does he do? He gives Bathsheba tactful words 
And then he follows that with his own words at the right time. And I think we should learn from this. How many of you here just blurt things out? Yeah, man, it's out there. You're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, we got to say the right words. We got to use wisdom. And we got to say them at the right time. Sometimes immediately. But we got to make sure we take it to the Lord. I have to pray about everything. We got to pray. Here we see Nathan just, it's so cool the way that they use that wisdom. Sometimes people, unfortunately, get upset. They get emotional, reckless, and rash with their words. And yet you guys know Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. I mean, you're going to receive right when it's the Lord. And Psalm 141, verse 3, where the psalmist says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Use wisdom. Say the right things that God wants you to say at the right time. Nathan here was a wise man. And so we read in verse 15, that Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. And then the king said, What is your wish? And then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my own son Solomon will be counted as offenders. So, you know, David's really old. And I, and I think the point is emphasized here because he should have he already taken care of this. Again, negligence on the leader's part in the ministry. Negligence on the father's part part in the family. We see that in David right here. He's old, he can't even keep warm, much less keep a kingdom. And so he should have completed the transition of power by now. The truth is, in dragging his feet, he left the kingdom in jeopardy. And so Bathsheba now comes into his presence and reminds him of his promise that she had told him, hey, didn't you say that Solomon was going to be king? Why is this guy out of Niger doing all this? Now, we don't have the record of David's promise to Bathsheba, but we do have David's words of when God spoke to him about the matter and prophesied concerning King Solomon. Over in 1 Chronicles 22.9, it says, Behold, this is God's prophecy to David. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give him peace and quietness to Israel in his days. That was before Solomon was even born. God said, you're going to have a son, name him Solomon. Solomon means peace. And he's going to be the king. David knew that. Why did he drag his feet? That makes you wonder. Negligence. 
David knew this, but he didn't follow through as a responsible leader. Warren Wiersbe said this, David had given up the sword, and now he must give up the scepter. Wise is the leader who knows when to step aside. You know, and one day, a lot of us here, if the Lord tarries, we might have to face that. And it's so cool to see some of you young guys here, and we get to pass the baton on to the next generation. See, that's what we want to do. And so we read here in verse 20 that all of Israel, they were looking to David for his decision as to who would be king. And you know, one of the things I've learned in life, and you guys probably know this, and I definitely learned it in ministry, is that you need to make it clear who's the leader. Who's leading? Who's in charge? Like when I leave the house, do you guys ever do this? Like I tell my, my son and my daughter, okay, Aaron, Ariel's in charge. Do you guys ever do that with your kids? What do your kids say? No way. <laughs> no way, Dad. I tell Aaron, okay, you're the man in the house, you know, but Ariel's in charge. Anyways, <laughs> you got you to gotta do that in ministry because if not, like I remember we had to do this one time, you know, hey, you know, this person's in charge. Everybody else got kind of mad, but it's okay. They're in charge because if not, what ends up happening? Then the dominant personality rises. The type A charismatic leader rises. And they might, that might not be the one God wants to lead. So you have to make it clear who's the leader. And that was kind of what was happening right here. Solomon was supposed to be king, but Adonijah exalted himself. David had to choose, and he had to appoint him. Leaders need to remember their responsibility. Why? Because lives are in the balance. Yeah, you know, when you think about that as a leader of a ministry or a leader as a pastor, as a parent, lives are in the balance. And that's why we have to be responsible leaders. In this case, all the citizens would be affected and Bathsheba and Solomon would undoubtedly die. And so she comes in and she tells this thing and then we read in verse 22, and just then while she was still talking with the king, Nathan, then the prophet, also came in so they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down to the day, he has gone down today, and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army. And Abiathar the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? I mean... You know, Nathan just comes in and he says, you know, this is what's going on. Is this what you want, David? He's just asking a question. Is this, was this your plan? So it confirms the word. Because you know how some husbands are. They don't listen to their wives. That's not good. Oh, and then Nathan comes in, right? Wisdom. Okay, I guess it's true. This is really happening. Really happening. And so in verse 28, then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. And so she came into the king's presence, stood before the king, 
And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. What a beautiful verse. Just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. And then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And the king also said to him, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then he shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my lord the king say so too. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord, King David. And so David, you know, finally, and, and, and Warren Worsby said sometimes leaders need to be led. David finally kind of wakes up. He says, okay, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. Calls Bathsheba back, vows to fulfill his promise to her. And I love the way he vows there in verse 29. Look again, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a really cool verse? David here testifies to the fact that God delivers his people from every distress. We read earlier in Second Samuel 4 verse 9, similar words when David spoke to Rechab and Ba'ana, as he said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. He's redeemed our life from every distress, from all adversity. What we find is that it's occult. Distress and adversity in those two verses are the same Hebrew word, speaking of troubles, speaking of anxiety, sorrows and pains that we go through in life, the misfortunes, the difficulties, even the opposition of the adversaries. And so David testifies, what a beautiful truth. You know, and as you guys go through life, and I really want to encourage you in that, the troubles, the tribulations, the tragedies of life, God will transform them into triumph by His grace and His power. He works all things for good. And so we see that beautiful word here. And whenever you go through hard times, I just want to encourage you guys to do this. Remember His word Keep the faith, stay focused, stay true, trust the Lord through all those things and know this, that in His perfect timing, He will accomplish His perfect will. You can stand on the promise. He will deliver you. He will. And so what happens? David calls Bathsheba in, then he calls in Benaiah. We read that in verses 33 through 35. He says, uh, tell Solomon to ride on my personal mule, which clearly would identify him as his favored son, right? Riding on a donkey or mule was regarded as a king coming for a peaceful transition of power 
And of course, we know it's a picture of Jesus who rode into Jerusalem, right? On that donkey prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, right? And so it's interesting. Adonijah is a picture of self. Adonijah is a picture of Satan. But Solomon here is a picture of Jesus. What does Jesus bring? Solomon. What does Solomon's name mean? Do you guys remember? Peace. Do you guys like peace? Oh, I love peace. I probably like it too much, man. Peace. When God gives you peace. Peace with him. Peace of him. That's what happens when Jesus comes in. And you let him be the Lord of your life, right? Adonijah here is a picture of self or Satan. Psalm is a picture of Jesus. And David now is actually a picture of the Father. And I like what Benaiah says in verse 37. As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon. And make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. You know, Benaiah clearly communicates the core key concept that success is for those who have their God with them, right? It was evident that the Lord was with David. Benaiah now prays that he would be with Solomon as well. We know that was the key to Joseph's life. Even when he was in prison, the Lord was with him. We read that over and over again. It was the key to Moses. It was the key to Joshua. It was the key to Paul the Apostle. We read in Acts 18, 9 and 10, The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. You know, when you're out there in maybe a hostile environment, when you're out there and you're afraid to share the gospel or speak Jesus or do an altar call, whatever it is, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. God is with you. That's the commission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, and that's where we need to take courage. He says, man, the Lord was with David, Solomon, may the Lord be with you. That'll be the key to your success. And so what ends up happening in verse 38, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Palathites, they went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. And then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy. This is cool. So that the earth seemed to split with their sound. They were so excited. They were so excited because this was the will of the Lord. Solomon was now going to be king. And so what ends up happening? Well, they got to go tell Adonijah what's going on, right? Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him, they heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is this city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. 
you know, he had like a positive attitude, right? I was good. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Dude, <laughs> not even. You know, I'll tell you guys a real quick story. When we were in Cambodia, man, we were on the top deck, and uh, one of the guys was trying to light the barbecue, and he was using gas. And uh, I remember Gabriel telling me a story about how the f- fire follows the gas. And so we're over here on this side. I'm like, hey, bro, the fire follows the gas. I heard that before, you know? <laughs> He's like, oh, it's all right. It's all right. <sighs> Next thing you know. I mean, there's, there's a fire on the roof, right? And so the guy's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's going to be okay. And so what does he do? Oh, I forgot. He did something, and it made it bigger. I was thinking to myself, man, the water of life is going gonna, is gonna to burn down, right? It's like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Dude, it's not going to be okay, all right? So thank God someone went over there and covered it with a, with a big metal bowl that they had, but... You know, this guy, oh, he's a good guy. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> it says right here, Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. I mean, Adonijah had some pretty big guys, but they were kind of like minor leaguers. This is a big league right here, you know? And so Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gehon, and and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city's in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also, Solomon sits, here it is, man, he sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne, than the king. This is it. This is crazy. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. That's David now bowing to Solomon, making that transaction of all his servants now under the authority of Solomon. There's no way around this, Adonijah. I mean, it's, it's happened. Because you exalted yourself. And that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Right? And you just tell him this is what's happening. Verse 48, Also the king said, Thus blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. And so all the guys that were there with Adonijah, they were just, Oh, we're with you, bro. We're with you. No, I'm just joking. Look what happens. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. They, had, they ate, but they split, man. They were gone. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, and so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today, that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And then Solomon said, here it is, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he's, he's dead. He shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go home. <laughs> go to your house. Get out of here. But he gave him grace. He gave him an opportunity. You know, in looking at this and concluding today, you guys, um, 
you know, these guys go, Adonijah goes and he grabs the horns of the altar. It had become the practice of those days when someone committed a crime, especially ones that they felt they did, you know, innocently. Anyways, to flee to the tabernacle. It's kind of like the city of refuge in the Old Testament. And hold on to the horns of the altar. Uh, we're going to see that Adonijah does it here. Joab's going to try it next time, but he gets, gets killed right there. And he asks his, his brother, the king, in desperation, I promise you won't kill me. Solomon says, you know what? I won't kill you. Everything's going to be cool. I'll give you a second chance. Prove yourself worthy. Prove yourself worthy. Um, the NLT says, prove yourself to be loyal. Prove yourself to be loyal. It was a simple request and actually a gracious act on the part of the new king. And so God gave Adonijah a second chance. Uh, we're going to see, unfortunately, he didn't take it to heart because of the poison that was there. And that's why I was trying to tell you guys, and I really, I pray that if, that's, if the poison's there, and if that's you, man, get rid of it. Get rid of that poison. Because it will manifest itself. And what ended up happening later on, he asked for Abishak. He wanted that sweeter heater, right? And uh, what ends up happening, because of that, he was exposed. He was exposed and he was judged. He fled to the altar for safety, but he didn't flee to the altar for sanctity. And, and that's what we'll close with today. You know, there's a big difference between physical life and spiritual life. There's a big difference between safety and spirituality. You know, going to Cambodia, I know a lot of people were concerned about our physical well-being. And, oh, I hope we don't get sick, or you know, I hope the plane doesn't crash. You guys prayed stuff like that, right? <laughs> uh, I hope they make it back. I hope they don't get malaria or get bit by too many mosquitoes or step on a landmine or something, right? You know? All the uncertainties of a foreign country, and I think a lot of times people are worried about the physical things, right? But um, it's, and that's okay, you know, pray for us. But it must be a distant second to the spiritual things. You know, if I'm going to go grab the horns of the altar, I'm not going to do it just for physical safety. I've got to do it for spiritual sanctity. And that's where Adonijah, he fell short. We want God to do a great work, a spiritual work. And that's what we have to be. In closing, I want to give you guys a couple of warnings. Number one, and I, and I say this to myself, Beware of negligence. What's, you guys heard that saying? All that's necessary for evil to prevail is what? For good men to do nothing. So beware of negligence in the ministry and negligence in your family. Okay? Number two, beware of arrogance. Don't exalt yourself. Don't exalt yourself. It's really one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. I want to oversee that ministry. People come up to me, now. I want to oversee that ministry. Dude, it's not going to happen that way. So beware of negligence. Beware of arrogance. And, and replace it with, as a leader, responsibility. Responsibility. I have a responsibility in the ministry. I have a responsibility in my family. i got to lead. Responsibility and replace that arrogance with what? 
humility. As we humble ourselves and, I mean, bottom line is, you know, I don't think any of us here could ever say, would ever say, well, you know what, I think I'm the man. I'm the man. I think I'm the, I'm the girl or whatever, how you ladies would say it, you know. You can never say that. Because we would never, I mean, I'm not worthy, I'm not able. If God were to ever use me, it's just got to be because he has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world. And the things which are not to confound the wise. And then the Lord says, okay, that's the one. Because when I do a work through them, I'll get glory. And that's what God wants. And so the Lord is so good. Solomon is a picture of peace. A lot of things God teaches us in his word. Um, I know we went over today. We're going to have communion now. Um, so... I would just ask, you know, as we do this uh, tonight in closing, I pray that you would be encouraged, that even in all the dysfunctionalities of this, that God did a great work. And, and I just think that when the heart is just wanting to do the right thing, that God will do a great work in your life and in your family. He's so good. There is power in the blood of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And there is the power of the Holy Spirit available to us today to give us a new start. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 Four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.